All right, well, we've got a special treat tonight. Um, last Sunday morning, uh, I was teaching on, I was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, talking about worry. How many of you are affected by worry? Those of you that don't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> Dana said she's writing. She's raising her hand in spirit. She's filling out her prayer cards. But, you know, we had just gotten a great response. I mean, so many people are hurting when it comes to worry with anxiety. And, you know, the scripture says, what, what can worry do for you? Can't add, add one cubit to your life. It can't help you at all. There's enough to worry about today, not to worry about tomorrow. But don't worry. That worry is a lack of trust in God. Well, um, Elizabeth came up and, and gave a word, gave a testimony of digging in trash, not looking for gold in trash. Does anybody remember her coming up and talking? And in the middle of that, she just made a statement about, uh, we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. And I believed at that point, and you're going to see that Sarah believed it too, that she was calling out that testimony right then. And, and Miss Sarah Nelson was sitting there, and I don't want to talk too much for you, so if I mess up, you just correct me. But she felt the urge to come up and give that testimony. Well, she didn't. She came and told me after service during the picnic, I believe. And um, I'm like, Sarah, Elizabeth was calling you out. She said, I know she was. Um, but I just told her, I said, if, if you would be willing, let's do this on, on this coming Wednesday night and just share this testimony. I want you to know that um, Revelation 12:11 says that we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. I think last week I was telling you that the things that you're getting through, that the, the things that you're overcoming, you need to tell somebody about it. You need to tell somebody about what God is doing in your life because that is part of their overcoming. They will overcome by your testimony. Now, in giving that testimony, you can't leave out the blood of the Lamb. You've got to make sure that you give the credit to the Lord, but that you give your testimony. That testimony is not just yours. It's been given to you so that you can give it to somebody else. You have walked through something. You have overcome something. And as Sarah and I have shared over this last week, um, I believe that uh, somebody, probably more than just somebody, is going to get free tonight because of what Sarah um, has overcome. So, um, and let me just quickly introduce her. Sarah and Ron came, I guess, two or three years ago, th four years ago. Man, we're, get, we're getting old, aren't we? Well, okay. I guess I'm the only one getting old. We're getting old. Four years. Doesn't time fly? And uh, I got to know them at VBS and registration right back here. And they came in, didn't really know them, and they were dressed up, and Ron had a parrot on his, on his shoulder, and dressed up like a pirate, I guess, and I'm like, who are these, these strange people? Then I hear they live out in the woods, and, and uh, they got chickens, and, like, and they're from New York. I'm like, what, what, what has happened to this family? <laughs> uh, um, but uh, as I've gotten to know them, I've just really grown to love them. They both serve uh, wholeheartedly in this church. They have a life group. Ron serves in in the worship team, of course, with me on the drums. He also, he and Sarah also lead our um, Dave Ramsey FPU every single time it's been done. I don't know if you've done it three or four times since you've been three times here in this church and people just getting free left and right from their finances, and I'm one of them. Uh, I am just a fan of Ron and Sarah Nelson. 
But if y'all would, everybody please welcome Miss Sarah Nelson. Am I on? have a green light. I'm on. Okay. Um, and like Pastor said, when he was preaching about fear and worry and anxiety, I was just like, he is preaching to the choir because I really turned worry into like an alternative lifestyle and I was in it for a really long time. And so I'm hoping that by telling you tonight what I went through and what God helped me overcome, you'll realize that it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with worry, whatever it is, God is able to help you overcome it. <clears throat> when I was a child, I grew up in a really chaotic household. Um, it was just never very stable, and that's really the best way I can think of to describe it. Um, we didn't know how things were gonna be from day to day, and we moved around a lot. By the time I was 19 years old, we had moved 42 times. My parents were not missionaries, which is one question I always get. And the other question I always get is military. And no, we were not a military family. We just moved a lot. Um, and I didn't really know why we moved a lot. But I lived in all kinds of places. I lived in houses. I lived in apartments. I lived in hotels for extended periods of time, some of which were very nice, some of which were not. Um, I lived in places that had neither heat nor electricity, and when you're in upstate New York in the winter, both of those things tend to be really important, but we didn't always have that. I would come home from school some days, and the moving van would be there, and it would be packed, and I had had no idea beforehand that we were going anywhere, and you just kind of get in the van and go. So that was what my life was like. Um, my mom was the main breadwinner of our household. She worked two or three jobs most of the time I was growing up. She was tired a lot, as you can imagine, and she also struggled with depression. Um, at one point, she did go and try to get help, and my father was not a big fan of that, and he called her where she was and told her that if she did not return home immediately, that he would take me and disappear and she'd never see me again. And that is the last time my mom really tried to get any help for that situation. And she's always told me that she realized on that day that it was just her and God, that that was going to be the only way that she was going to get through it. Before I became school-aged, my father was my main caretaker, and he really um, did not like that job. <laughs> he pretty much let me know from the very first day that he considered it an inconvenience and Kind of to that end, he didn't always feed me. When I was very small, he did not change diapers, so whatever diaper I wore when my mom left, that'd be the same one I had on when she came home at night. He did not like crying, and if I didn't kind of pull myself together, I would be punished for crying no matter why. Um, and when he did work, he tended to work construction, and he would always take me with him. So you don't typically see a lot of toddlers or three or four-year-olds on construction sites, but that's where I grew up. And I can even remember at one point being tied to a chimney when he did a roofing job when I was about four. So that's just kind of what things were like when I was growing up. Uh, my father was a very, he was a cruel man, and he was very erratic. Um, he was a big fan of mind games. He liked to play different games with us to try to find out new ways to control us. 
um, to control what we might do or what we might say. Um, some days he'd be great, he'd be the funnest guy you ever met, and then the next day he would just fly into a rage over absolutely nothing. Because of all these things, when I was a very small child, I was a very concerned and cautious young child. Um, I figured out really early in life that I needed to take care of myself as best as I could. I needed to be aware of what was going on in me all the time. Um, I couldn't let my guard down. I couldn't ask for things. I couldn't say, oh, gee, I'm hungry. I couldn't cry. Those were just things we didn't do. And I learned that really small. I was also a very sickly child. It seemed like I was always fighting off some kind of bug or infection or something. And I used to have really horrible chest pains. And I didn't, they didn't know why back then. And I'm looking back now, I think they were probably panic attacks just because things were so stressful all the time. I didn't like to be at home when I was in school. Um, but I was also afraid to not be at home. I didn't like to go for sleepovers because I was afraid that if I was at a friend's house, my parents might decide to move while I was gone and just forget to take me. So it made me really insecure about going out and doing things. Well, that anxious child kind of turned into an anxious teenager. And as I became a teenager, my father's behavior just grew worse and worse. <laughs> it was at this time that I believe he started abusing prescription drugs and he rarely worked anymore, so he was home a lot. And so we had a lot of time together, and he, <clears throat> he really tried to make sure that I always realized that I was a bother, that I was just a problem in the home. And one of the things that he would always tell me is that if I wasn't around, he and my mother wouldn't have any problems. Everything would be just fine. And so it just got to a point where I was just sort of waiting to the day I could escape. I was waiting to turn 18. I learned to be even more aware of my surroundings as a teenager, and I became very angry. And I wasn't just angry with my father for being the way he was, but I was angry with my mother because she continued to stay in a situation that wasn't good. And I was angry with my sisters because they were a lot older than me, so by the time I was five, they had already graduated and moved out. And I was mad that they had escaped the situation and they didn't take me, I felt like I had been abandoned and left behind. But the person that I was the most angry with was God. And I started to have a relationship with him where when I prayed, instead of it being a prayer, I would tell him that he was a jerk and that he had failed and that he wasn't doing a very good job taking care of me. And that is sort of what my relationship with, with God was like for years. I had tried really hard to be a good girl, and it didn't matter. Everything just kept getting worse and worse. So eventually, I just refused to go to church with my parents anymore. I just wouldn't do it. I was very tired of trying to make an appearance with my friends to appear normal because, you know, I had never told anybody what was going on, so I just wanted them to think I was just as normal as could be, and it was exhausting. <clears throat> By the time I was 16, I became really, really concerned that my father would kill my mother and I one day, mostly because his behavior just became more and more erratic. And the only thing that was really a constant in our relationship was that he didn't like us. He really didn't like me at all. And he also had guns hidden everywhere in our house, like in really strange places. And I just thought, one day I'm going to come home from school and something's going to set, set him off and 
he's just going to start shooting, and that will be the end. Well, when I graduated high school, I escaped exactly as I planned. And the ironic part is that even though I was very angry with God and didn't go to church anymore, I <laughs> went to a Bible college <laughs> where I blended right in. Um, but it didn't stop me from worrying. I was still really worried all the time, and I became really concerned about what was happening to my mother while I was gone in another state. And eventually it got so bad, and I was becoming so affected by it, that I went to my academic advisor, and he was the first person that I ever told the truth about what was happening at home, and that I was very concerned, and I didn't know what to do. And so he told me that I should quit school because if I was not able to forget my family and focus entirely on my education, I would never be a success in my chosen major. And he was not very encouraging about my future. But in the end, I decided that he was right and that I needed to go home. So I packed my belongings at the Christmas break and I never went back. Um, my father was furious that I had come home, but I continued to pay rent, which is something I did pretty much from the time I was 13 anyway, and I think he was sort of grateful to have that extra cash, so he decided to overlook the inconvenience of having me back in his house. I started at that point sort of a hardcore campaign with my mother to leave my father. Um, I really felt like we would never, she would never be safe as long as she was with him. And it took almost a year, but eventually my mother decided to go ahead and file for divorce. But instead of everything getting better, things actually got worse for a while. Um, right when my mom went to court that very first day, over the next week, I discovered that my dad wasn't just an angry, cruel man that didn't like me, but he was also a criminal. And he was a professional con man, and he was a polygamist. My father stole from my mother and I. He took not only our personal belongings and our money, but he took our identities, and he left us severely in debt. He stole from local charities where we lived, and he engaged in all kinds of fraudulent behavior, and it was really embarrassing when all that came out. And for whatever reason, I just felt like it all reflected back on me, that somehow it just spilled over onto who I was. And as part of that, I also learned that I had siblings that I had never met and didn't know anything about. And I just kept thinking about that phrase in the Bible that talks about the sins of your fathers, and I just felt so condemned. So even though my existence up until that point hadn't exactly been exciting and glowing and wonderful, I just felt like I'd lost everything. I'd lost my identity. I just... Everything I thought was true wasn't. I found out that my mom and my sisters knew a lot of the things that had been going on, but didn't choose to share that with me. So I felt like they had also sort of taken part in that, and it just seemed like everything was shattered. <clears throat> when my parents separated, it left my mother and I homeless. We lost our house. And there were a lot of things to really worry about. And I was really still pretty much convinced that God wasn't really interested in what my life was like. After my parents separated, my father began to stalk me. Uh, this went on for months, very frequently, and then less frequently over the next several years. 
He'd call and harass me at work. He'd call me names. He'd badger me to try to get me to agree to meet him somewhere. And then when I would go to meet him, no one would show up. So I would end up just sitting by myself for hours. And then he'd call me the next day and accuse me of bringing the authorities to wherever we were supposed to meet and calling me names all over again. And it would sort of be the cycle that went on and on and on. <clears throat> he also had a brother, which is my uncle, and he helped my father in this campaign, and he would also call me at work and at home several times a day and call me all kinds of names. And it just began to feel like I was haunted by this person. I just, no matter what happened, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't get out from under the shadow. <clears throat> Many times during this period, my mom and I actually slept in the same bed because we were both just so scared. And some mornings, we'd have to give each other little pep talks just to get out of bed and keep going one more day. <clears throat> at one point, I can remember, we were both so scared. Um, it had been after our house had been broken, or the place where we were staying was broken into again. We each called a friend, because by now everybody knew what was going on. And there were four adults sleeping on the living room floor holding hands with the lights on, because we were just terrified. <clears throat> Well, I have two older sisters, like I said, and one of those sisters called every week. She lives in North Carolina, and I was in New York, so she'd call every week just to see how things were going, see if we were still surviving. And every week she'd say, have you been to church? No. Have you been to church? No. Next week. Have you been to church? No. Next week. Have you been to church? Did you go to church this week? No. And she just kept asking and asking and asking. I can remember at one point saying, you don't need to keep asking me. I'm not going to church ever. I'm done. I'm not playing that game anymore. And she just kept asking. And eventually, I went to church. Just so when she called, I could say, yes, I went to church. Stop asking me. Um, and I went, and it started to, like, work on my heart a little bit. And I was still really skeptical, and I still kind of kept God at, at arm's length, but I was going. And I kind of started to look at church like it was a brownie point system. Like, if I could just be good enough, then God would just be good back to me. So I just needed to figure out how to be good all the time, and everything would be fine. Well, eventually, the youth group at my church had a missions trip, and I signed up to go on this trip. And I wasn't bringing very much to the table, because my mom and I had just moved out of my sister's apartment where we'd been living out of suitcases, and we moved into my aunt's house, which we were able to bring some of our own belongings and unpack and make it home. But I didn't really want to go to my aunt's house. I really wanted to say kind of sayonara and kind of go back to my own life and pursue college and do all those things you're supposed to do when you're 19. But it really freaked my mom out, the idea of me leaving again. And so I ended up staying with her, but I felt very trapped. And I felt like this man who destroyed my past was kind of now taking away my future because I wasn't able to do all the things I wanted to do. So I went on this missions trip, and I was just, I was bankrupt, basically. I didn't have anything emotionally to give. I didn't have anything spiritually to give. I was just going. Well, every night at the missions trip, we had this big, huge bonfire, and we'd sing songs, and somebody would come up and they'd preach, and then somebody else would come up and they would give their testimony. It was great. And I thought, well, I'll just keep my mouth shut and I'll blend in and this will be fine. It didn't work. Because one day, one of the leaders came up and said, we'd like you to give your testimony at the bonfire tonight. And I was like, okay. 
And what I was thinking was, what am I going to say to these people? Because my life's not very good. And the only way I'm going to have anything good to say is if I lie to them. And I'm pretty sure they frown on that on a missions trip. I don't know. So I'm, I went through the whole day. I'm doing all the things that you're supposed to do. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Well, I got to the bonfire, and I still didn't really know what I was going to say. And I walked up, and I looked at all these people. And there was all these kids I'd gone to high school with who had no clue that I wasn't you know, exactly like them. And I opened my mouth, and all this stuff just started coming out. I started telling them about the divorce. I started telling them about the police. I started telling them about everything. And by the end of it, I'm just puddle, basically. <clears throat> and everybody's totally silent. And the only thing I could think of to say at the end of it was, I survived. I'm still here. And I felt like that was just such a lame testimony. What's your testimony, Sarah? I survived. I'm still here. But you know, for some people, that's a huge testimony. It really is. Sometimes when you look back and you look at all the horrible things you went through, just being able to say, I'm still here is a miracle. Well, I went home from my missions trip and pretty much everything was still the same. Um, I never did move out of my mother's house or go back to college, but it was okay because I didn't really have any great big dreams that I was pursuing because I was still worried about staying alive and being safe staying alive and being safe. Well, over the next few years, I married Ron, who's a wonderful man, and he's still with me, even though he had no clue that I was bringing all this emotional baggage, <laughs> like trucks and trucks of it, and things were going well. You know, we had a nice house, we had two cars, I had a good job, and I worried all the time, and I got sick all the time. And when things would get really stressful, I'd break out in hives, which is always attractive. And then one day, my boss called me into his office, and he said that he, he noticed that I wasn't as happy as he thought I should be, that I seemed like I was burdened, and he was very concerned. And I just did what I've always done my whole life, and I said, oh, no, I'm fine. Everything's great. I have nothing to be upset about. Everything's good. But he just kept persisting in it, and he was trying to tell me how God loved me, and God wanted me to be happy, and God wanted me to have this abundant life. And I broke down, and I told him that the only God I knew created certain people to be unhappy, to be tried and to be tested, and God wanted to see how much those certain people could take before they cracked, and I was one of those people. And my boss kept telling me about God and how much God loved me and how God wanted me to have this abundant life. And I look back now, and I know that I was wrong. I was sitting there in that chair, and I was a saved person. I had prayed the salvation prayer. I know if I had dropped it on the spot, I would have gone to heaven. But I was just deceived, and I didn't know God at all. Because God does want us to have abundant lives. And God does love us. And he does want us, he does have good plans for us. He wants to give us more than we can even ask for. But I just couldn't even begin to comprehend a God like that. And I'd like to say that when he was telling me all this truth, that I listened to him, that I stopped in my tracks and everything changed, but it didn't. I just kept going on doing what I was doing. I was still afraid all the time. But I found a new coping skill. I called it planning. 
See, all you have to do to feel safe and to feel good and to feel in control is to come up with every possible situation that you could face or encounter and plan how you would deal with it, and everything will be fine. It took up a lot of my time, I'll tell you. I worried about everything. I worried about my house, I worried about my job, I worried about our dog, I worried about Ron, I worried about my family, I worried about my friends, and that became a big problem. Because they see the more people you care about, the more things you have to worry about. So I started limiting the number of people I could care about because I just didn't have the energy to worry about them. And so God, I wish I had listened to God back then, but I didn't. And as a result, the devil was stealing my relationships because I couldn't, I didn't have it to give. I just didn't have enough energy to give. I worried about things that might actually happen but I also worried about really ridiculous things that would never happen in like a trillion years. I can remember one day I pulled up to my mailbox outside my house and I'm in my car and I'm reaching out to get my mail and I went, what if somebody drove up behind me and they lost control of their vehicle and they slammed into the back of my car and my arm was ripped off in the mailbox? What would I do? I'm serious, I really worried about this stuff. And I went away and I started making a plan. I was like, okay, well I gotta figure out how long will you stay conscious once you start bleeding to death? Okay, is it more important to call 911 or is it more important to like make a tourniquet with the seatbelt? And, and that was what my whole life was like. No matter how preposterous the situation was, I figured out if I could make a plan for it, I'd be okay. Because the only person I could count on was me. But the truth is that even if I was able to anticipate, manipulate, and control every single situation that I came across, I wasn't a very happy person because I'd have that perfect moment and I couldn't enjoy it because I was worried about the next moment and the moment after that. My energy was so tied up in all of this planning that my body continued to suffer and break down. I began to have stomach aches all the time, but I had a solution for that too. It was my Lanta. I put it in my glove box, I put it in my desk drawer at work, I had it stashed all over the house, and so I just kept planning, 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 and chugging, chugging, chugging. I just kept right on going. I went to church still, I was actively involved in the ministry, probably nobody would have ever guessed that this is what my internal life was like, and I continued to hold God at arm's length. You see, I still didn't think I could trust him. I knew that the brownie point system was not working, and I was pretty much always waiting for that other shoe to drop. I was just waiting for the disaster that I knew was coming. So a few more years went by. We had better jobs than when we started. Life was going really good. And I was still worrying. Well, my body still continued to fail and give out. <clears throat> and the next thing that happened was I started to lose my ability to speak correctly. I would start replacing words that I wanted to say with words that meant absolutely nothing in the same sentence. So if I wanted to tell you that I threw a ball over a fence, I would say, I threw the car over that fence, or I threw the ball over the ocean. I would just say something totally outlandish. And most of the time I didn't know I was doing it until somebody brought it to my attention. And once I realized that that was going on all the time, I really freaked out because I thought, well, that's the other shoe that I've been waiting for. God's given me a brain tumor. This is it. And I didn't even plan for it. Who knew? So I went to a couple of doctors. The first doctor asked me all these questions about my childhood while he was examining me. And I really resented it. 
And uh, eventually, when he was all done with his exam, he said, you know, there's nothing that's physically wrong with you that can't be explained by stress. And I said, you're a quack, and I know why. Because you see, I've had this circulatory disease since I was a teenager, so I know you don't know what you're talking about, because I know there's something wrong with me. If nothing else, I know I've got that. And he said, okay, well, excuse me for just one moment. He got up and he left the room, and he comes back with a big old medical book. And he looks and he finds the disease that I supposedly have, and he says, this is what that disease looks like. Is that what you look like? Nope. That's not what I look like. He says, that's because you don't have this disease. You have stress. And what I found out was my circulatory disease was actually because I was so stressed out, I was living at the far end of that fight versus flight that we all have. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but when you're really terrified, all of your blood starts pumping just to your main organs because your body is worried about keeping you alive. And it doesn't send that blood to your feet and your hands because it's just worried about keeping your heart going and keeping your brain going. And I had been stressed out for so long, my body thought we were in life or death conditions pretty much all the time. <clears throat> well, I thanked the doctor very politely and I paid him and I left and I went on to the next one because I didn't like what he had to say. And I went to the next doctor and he told me the exact same thing. And he told me I needed to talk to somebody about what was really stressing me out so much. And I was like, oh, man, it'd be so much easier to just have a brain tumor. <laughs> and that's such a horrible thing to say, but that's really how I felt. Like, I'd rather just have cancer than go talk to somebody about all the stuff that's freaking me out. I don't want to deal with my past. I don't even want to think about my past. I don't want to talk to a stranger about my past. But... I knew that there was just so much that my body could tell me before eventually it really broke down and I wasn't gonna get better. And so I finally broke down before the Lord. That's what it took. And I said that I'd go talk to somebody, but that he'd have to hold up his end of the bargain, at least this one time. I knew that it was gonna take everything I had to go deal with all this stuff. And I decided that I was gonna claim the story in Genesis 32 about Jacob wrestling with the angel. Remember, he meets the angel and they begin to wrestle and he says, I'm not going to let go of you till you bless me. Well, that's what I said. I'm not going to let go of this. I'm going to fight and fight and fight through this obstacle and I'm not going to let go until you change me. I really wanted to experience God in a different way than I had been all this time. And I wanted to leave blessed. And it was a really hard thing to do. It was very humbling. But I really believe that that saved my life. Because I know that eventually fear wouldn't have just taken my relationships and my peace of mind and my health. I know that eventually all that fear and worry and anxiety and stress, it would have killed me. And my therapist was a Jewish chaplain, of all things, and she claimed that story with me. I told her that I prayed that story and that that's, that's what I was clinging to. And she, she was just right in there with me. And God was faithful because that, that day I began to change. God was with me when I was sorting through all that emotional junk in my attic, and he helped me just get rid of a lot of it. We carry around a lot of stuff sometimes that we don't need really don't. And um, 
I went back and I was able to restore relationships with people that I'd either just ignored because I didn't have the energy to pursue it or I was angry with them and so I had rejected them. And I could also see that even in the midst of these horrible circumstances of my childhood, God had been blessing me all along because all of the things that make me who I am, it was like God put them in this little bubble like Glinda in The Wizard of Oz you know how she travels by bubble? I traveled by bubble, and all the things that were really who I was made it. I was still here. And I would also say that my faith in God, even though it was a distorted view of God with my brownie point system, it really helped me avoid a lot of things that would have made a bad situation so much worse because there's a lot of things we turn to when we're seeking comfort, and I honestly don't know how I would have made it if I was trying to be 16 and a mom or if I was trying to be 17 and coping with a drug habit. I just don't know how I would have done it, and I just... I really praise the Lord that he protected me from those things. Well, the day I prayed that prayer, like I said, God started renewing me by the transforming of my mind, like it talks about in Romans 12 too. It's so true. It's like every, all the junk that was up here just went away, and all the truth was totally revealed. I didn't need, feel the need to make plans compulsively for every outcome anymore, I began to be able to see God's will, and I began to be able to trust in him completely and just not feel like I needed to take control of everything. I even learned how to relax, which Ron really appreciated. <laughs> so just like Jacob became Israel, I feel like I'd be I've become a new person, and I have a sound mind, and I have a peace that passes all understanding. And it might be hard for you to realize out there, but I can absolutely say that that's a miracle. So if you're like I was back then and you're filled with fear all the time, you don't have to be. You can leave here a different person. You can pray a prayer and you can talk to Pastor Paul and help you. he'll help you find somebody that can talk to you because sometimes you just need to talk to somebody who can help you through it. But no matter who you talk to, if you try to do it without God, it's probably not going to work. So I would really encourage you to, to seek the Lord first. And if you're sitting here, and maybe you're more like the person I was when I was sitting in my boss's office, and I was telling him about how I was one of those people that God created to just mistreat and test and try and torture, well, that's not true either. And one thing you can do is we'd love it if you came to our life group. Our life group really focuses on learning who Jesus is and discovering his personality and having a real relationship with him, and we'd love to have you join us. But last, if you're like me and God has helped you overcome something and you have a story to tell, please don't keep it to yourself because Pastor Paul's right. Somebody needs to hear it. There's somebody that's probably struggling with that same exact thing, and they just need somebody to encourage them and say, hey, I made it. God helped me. And there's a way that you can do that without even opening your mouth. Because we're going to be starting, um, well, we're going to call it the Conquering Fear Wall out by the coffee bar, and we're asking people to share their stories or maybe a picture of themselves doing something um, that God helped them overcome that they're now able to do that they couldn't do before. And we'd like to use that wall to encourage others so that when they go get their coffee, they get a little extra boost as well. So, and last but not least, if you are like my sister and you're watching somebody else just 
sink and struggle and hurt. Nag them. <laughs> Nag them in love, because in all honesty, if it hadn't been from her, I probably wouldn't have gone back to church. And if I hadn't gone back to church, that door in my life wouldn't have stayed open. So please continue. Do not be discouraged. Um, and if you want to pray for that person, um, I'll be here afterwards. So thank you. Sarah, I know that was hard. I called Ron today and I said, is she worrying about speaking about worry? <laughs> he said, no, she's not worrying. If that's at home with you and you're here and you're battling fear and you're battling worry, I want to pray for you. Um, Sarah and Ron, I don't know if y'all would be willing to pray with some people after service, but if you would, I think it'd be great. We are all battling it. And uh, it's a, I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna take away from what she said at all, but Elizabeth had said this last year about how the struggles that we had gone through, and one of the words that she had was, we've made it. We're still here. And what you're battling, you are still here, and you're still breathing, and you still have the ability to step out of what you're, what you're in, but we've gotta walk out of it. And the bondage that, that, they were, that she was going through was real. It was a real bondage that only the power of Christ could break. And uh, let me just pray for you. If you'll just bow your heads with me. And you don't have to raise your hands just to yourself. Is that you? Are you in a similar situation? that you can't get free, you can't get free at home, you can't get free in your mind, you can't get free at work, you can't get free in your marriage. Just wanna encourage you to give God a chance and to hold him to his word, just like Sarah held God, said, I'm not letting go of you. I'm not letting go of you until you give me breakthrough until you touch until you until you bless me and I want you to know God is faithful and he will not let you go and through everything that Sarah was going through he never let her go sometimes we question and we don't understand but I want you to know that God is good and he is ready to rescue you right now He's ready to renew and transform your mind right now. And I want, I want to encourage you as we're just praying. What you're going through is real. It's not something you've made up. It's not something for you to hide. Satan's trying to get you to hide it the rest of your life. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray right now that your presence would come. That your, that your spirit would come and that your power would, would come and Lord that you would give us enough courage 
to get up out of bed, to stand up and to walk, and to speak and say, Lord, I need you. Rescue me. Father, we need you. Just break every spirit of worry that may be upon this group right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Just plead the blood of Jesus over it right now. And Father, we just ask right now that, that Satan's getting trampled on right now. He's under our feet. The God of peace has put Satan under our feet. And it's time for you to do a little dance on, on Satan's head. It's the only place you have a right to in our life, Satan, and that's under our feet. Just ask you, Lord, free us of worry, free us of anxiety. Break those chains right now. Just break the chains of depression. given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind that we have the mind of Christ I have the mind of Christ would you say that with me I have the mind of Christ and Lord when you come perfect love casts out all fear I thank you for Sarah's victory and I ask you to continue to give her victory over worry over anxiety she could take that message and give other women and other couples and other, other families breakthrough, Lord, over worry. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for Ron and Sarah. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you, Lord. I just pray over this group as we dismiss that you just give us a great week, a week of freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. There is liberty. Just thank you, Lord. Bless us, Lord, as a church. Bless us as a nation. Just ask you to help President Obama with everything that's going on and in these other nations that he is having to battle. Lord, bless the United States. Thank you, Lord. Just bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to dismiss you, but if you need more prayer, if you just need somebody to agree with you, I would just ask Sarah and Ron, just kind of stick around, and I will be here also just to pray with you if you need anybody. God bless you. Come down here also. Please encourage Sarah. It's a hard thing to give your testimony like that. Come give her a hug and let her know how good she did. Amen. God bless you.